Welcome to the History Voyager, a podcast about history. My name is Benjamin Kitching. As always, there are a zillion podcasts. Thank you for listening to mine. You can follow me at, at Ben's Charlie on Twitter. You can also look me up and searchable as the YouTube on YouTube as the History Voyager. Alright. I want to do another episode today. This episode is kind of a meditation, if you will. And I don't mean that in a uh, spiritual way. I mean it in terms of a thought process. On what exactly structural change is and why structural change occurs. Because I think you'll see here uh, with the the COVID-19 pandemic or epidemic or deaths I think it is revealing some structural changes and I also think and this I think is key I think it's going to cause structural changes as well now no structural change happens because of happiness at least few structural changes have caused because of happiness I mean, for example, um, you know, the radio became popular during the Great Depression before the radio records were popular. And after, you know, during the Depression, people just didn't have money to go out and buy records because they had to buy food. All right. So radio became popular because of the Great Depression, you know. When you look at America's traditional thoughts on liberty and religious equality, a lot of that, or not equality, but right to practice religion as one sees fit, at least as far as the Christian religions were going to go, a lot of that uh, comes back to horrible situations in England with the English Civil War and also the Seven Years' War, I mean, essentially, uh, King Charles was governing via the pulpit and basically the pilgrims, our psychological first colony, not the first colony in actuality, but the psychological first colony for all in a lot of ways, um basically massively re- uh, revolted against that. Well, I think here with COVID-19, you're going to see some changes. And these changes might not happen at first for desirable reasons. And one of the things I want to get into is to talk about what exactly desire even is. Are we making are we perpetually making the best of a situation and our brain thinks of it as desirable that's a question is some of this generational um you know when you talk to a a baby boomer about these apartments even back in the quote-unquote good old days if you think back in the epic of time that was two or three months ago in the previous epic of time that was two or three months ago you know they would even talk about I don't know why people would want to live in these little apartments you know why don't you want 
fellow in the country or have a yard. And I hear that. And, you know, whatever. And I get it. I know some of you are going to say yes, but we're of the, we're in, in our 30s and early 40s in our generation as a cohort. You know, we were forced to be in apartments and we didn't have yards. And to that, I, I say, you're right, but you're also wrong. Because the market, you know, the market does what the market does based on market forces. And if you wanted to live in the country, you know, it's like there are apartments in my city that are $3,000 a month. And I'm here to tell you right now, if you can afford a $3,000 a month apartment, you can afford to live somewhere else, right? You know, a $1,500 a month apartment, you know, maybe not, but a $3,000 a month apartment for sure. Now, are you living in the same city? Certainly not, maybe, but, you know, you could live out in the country or out, maybe not in the country, but out in what they call the exurbs, to use a demographic term, for sure. Now, why didn't that happen? Because we were sold this idea of the office job over, say, the farming. We don't want to farm. It's not anything we wanted to do. Well, I would posit to you that maybe, you know, from Mesolithic, from the, you know, Mesolithic to the Neolithic, or from the Neolithic to the Mesolithic, I would say that, you know, we always say that they wanted to settle down and they wanted to stop being hunter gatherers. What if they didn't want to settle down and be farmers at first what if that came you know there's a whole lot that we just I mean we can tell by the artifacts and by our suppositions on those artifacts but you know, we weren't there we didn't we don't know you know maybe you know or you look at say the industrial revolution um, that was very disruptive to families and to communities and to the rural way of life. You know, people had to get used to a life other than the rhythm of the farm. They had to get used to the, the life of the clock and, you know, things like that. And we, we today, because of our modern world, and we can look backwards and see that, oh, yes, well, these, you know, the people in the Industrial Revolution, you know, they, they led us to now, but... Yeah, well, you know what else was a product of the Industrial Revolution? Communism and Marxism. And that was a reaction to uh, deplorable, awful conditions. Horrible, horrible conditions where people were couldn't even make starvation wages because, you know, the, these people were separated from the means of agricultural production so they were dependent for the first time, I would argue, in human history. They were dependent on wages. And there wasn't, you know, the union. There had to be unions and there had to be riots and protests to get the wages to a level to where you could subsist. Because at first, 
you know, they would basically pay starvation wages and just calorically, calorie-wise, there wasn't enough calories for people to consume, right? So, you know, there was changes that happened. And also, you think about the information age that we live in today. I mean, you know, that was disruptive. You think of all the jobs today that don't exist because of a computer, right? You think of um, the pace of life has changed because of computers. And there's a lot of people out there that maybe none of you listening to this podcast, but I'll bet your parents uh, that wistfully look back on a day where people weren't as rushed around or as connected as they are today, right? They, they long for a day when you could actually cut on the television and see the nightly news for half an hour and feel like, okay, I know what there is to know in my community. You know, one of the, one of the fruits of, I guess, the information age is a reversal of something that I learned in college. I learned in college that there was more news than there was time to cover the news. I don't actually think that's true anymore. I think there's less actual news than there is time to cover it. And I wonder if a lot of the news we see today is essentially made up is essentially not made up like made up but but fabricated as a way to to sell car insurance or popcorn or whatever else they're selling on the you know commercials these days right and and I think that's accelerating because I think honestly look at cord cutting you know my family was an early cord cutter and you know, but there's lots of people that don't get cable anymore. And if you've seen the prices of cable, you know, there's a reason they don't get it because it's so expensive. But so that's a revolution. But I mean, there's this disease, this COVID and our political response to it, I think honestly is going to create a major, major change that I don't even think we've begun to see. Like, um, you know, think about how a lot of us have to use the smartphone in ways that we might have had one before, but we certainly, I certainly had one before, but I never had to use it this way. Like, it wasn't, it, I saw it as a tool, but now, you know, I'm eating off, I'm literally eating because of this tool. Right, and that's just gonna, and that's gonna proliferate. And now, you know, there's gonna be other things. I mean, you know, with, say, for example, uh, internet speed. I bet you anything, internet speed coming out of this is gonna be more, gonna be much greater. But so all this is a pressure, right? Is a pressure that is exerting. It's a changing pressure, sort of the way the you know, the Black Death caused wages to rise, 
But the response to that at first was a whole host of laws saying you couldn't go off the, your ancestral farm and, and go into the city. But people ignored those laws. So I think about that. I think, like, what's going to change forcefully because us, the Western, the modern Western peasant class, decides that it has to change. I mean, there could be any number of things. The way people get hired for a job, for example, might change. Or, or even like, you know, lots and lots of people say, well, we're going to get private health insurance out of this, I'm pretty sure. Okay, well, how does that happen? That happens because people force a change on a system that doesn't want to change. And I don't want to get political in terms of American political of the moment about it because pandemics throughout time cause change. So it's not just us. It's the Black Death, people, people, you know, the church lost, to lost its complete grip on the public imagination and the public, um, basically the public thoughts on reality because of, basically because of all this death that occurred. And by the way, this death was at a tremendous rate. This was a tremendous rate of death that just would be mind-boggling today. Not in terms of numbers, but in percentage. And what's telling to me is that, you know, it's like 3% of, of COVID-19 patients, between 3 and 5% of COVID-19 patients um, die from the disease. So it's going to take a lot less people for us to be want to change than for other people. Now, why do you suppose that is? It could be that, you know, at least our public imagination is that we have this you know, the fruits of this labor of widely, widely available medicine and things. And so we're just, in our minds and imaginations, we're used to thinking of life as though it's something that you're supposed to live. And to quote a friend of mine who lives in Indonesia, he said, you know, the thing about cancer is, cancer is the most amazing, you know, the most first world disease imaginable because what you're literally dying of is you're dying of your soul that your that your DNA is wearing out. Okay, that's essentially what cancer is. Well, I mean, you know, yes. So we're so far removed from the prospect of people suddenly dying that we're used to protracted hospital stays, right? So this is horrifying to us, this process of, you know, sending our parents to the, to the hospital and then they could die or, you know, and of course we were told it was old people, but now we're seeing that, yes, there's a large cohort of these people are old, but it's also younger people too. And so now you know, this is going to cause people, I think, one of the big changes is I think wages might actually, you might actually see 
you know, some people say downward pressure, but I wonder honestly if you get upward pressure. Because I wonder if people are going to start to calculate, wait a second, no, 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 no. If I'm going to actually go into that, go into this job, I need to have enough money so that in case something happens to me. And I get, you know, the precedence is, there's a precedence for low, you know, the recession or the great recession caused wages to decrease for people. And I certainly understand that. But I could see a possibility for upward pressure on the wages, right? Because you want to get people, you know, I really do think there's going to be small-scale agriculture comes out of this. People gardening in their yards and, you know, sharing food in common with neighbors. You know, um, I'm sure that's going to happen. But, you know, that, that doesn't happen because, you know, it doesn't happen without this because I don't know that, you know, now we're in a sort of a throw a rock and hit a grocery store sort of paradigm, at least with a lot of people, maybe not a lot of the land, but a lot of the people. And I think the other thing that COVID-19 is doing in America is that it's showing America what America really is, that it, in a post-Great Recession world, it, it has become ever more of a have-and-have-not society. And, you know, you could say, well, it's becoming a third-world country. That's a popular thing for some people to say. I don't know that I believe that at all. Uh, because, you know, having... I, I have a friend that actually, he lives in Indonesia, and he talks about the difference between Indonesia and here. The, you know, the cultural differences. Just because it's a third world country between Indonesia and here. Um, like, for example, he had a story about he gave his wife um, a mixer and a washer and dryer for a present. And he said, well, I, and she was, she loved it. And I said, well, I guess that's the mark of a third world country is that, you know, people don't see a washer and dryer and a mixer as a, as a non-romantic gift. And why did you give me this? But as like a, thank you. You've now saved time in my day because I have a washer and dryer and a mixer, you know, or like a refrigerator was another thing, you know refrigerators in, in his part of the world aren't very common and they aren't as big as ours either. They're they're much lower. But anyway, they're I guess we today we'd call them low boys. But my point is is that this is showing with, you know, the the pandemic that, you know, we're a much more unequal society than we thought we were. And I wonder if we're gonna think about that and consider is that a good idea? And think about the pressure that we could put on our politicians. But not that we could put, but that we will put. Because that's the lesson I've learned from pandemics, is that pandemics cause pressure on authorities. Yes, the authorities pressurize the people, but always, at least before, 
the people pressurize the authorities. So that's a thought. You know, a pandemic is an agent of change. So a structural change is a little bit like the salt in the water the fish doesn't see. The salt is there. The salt sustains the fish. But the fish is literally the last thing on earth, the last being on earth that would know about salt because the salt is around. So a paradigm in today's world that COVID-19 might force us to look at is this idea that we seem to have that are, you know, that we can be separated from the means of food production to the point where, you know, people can buy beef and have never seen cows. Think about how new that is in our world system. Think about how how few people in America today have actually seen a cow. Right? Okay. Is that something that's going to change? Is the salt in the water that we're not seeing, the fact that our globalism, that our globalization, I don't want to use the political term, I want to use the, the reality term, that the fact that, as I said in the previous podcast, that an alarming amount of the food that we eat comes from China. That is alarming. And we need to think about that. And we need to get back, in my estimation, to, to eating food that where we knew the farmer. Or maybe not that we knew the farmer, but that the farmer was a person that we could know. In other words, we can't know the farmer of the jalapenos in our fridge. Most of us. Most of us have never known the, the people that hammered the chips into chips in our bags. Or the machines, more likely, that hammered the chips into the bag. But maybe we're going to get back to that. Maybe. And maybe it's going to be because of this disease. Maybe we're going to start thinking, you know, this idea that, you know that we could farm jobs out overseas and that we would be safe because so the received elite wisdom was that no two countries had gone to war with each other if either of those countries had had a McDonald's. Well, I mean, try to find somebody that really believes that today, right? So right there, we're ready to push that idea over the edge. What if this is the thing that does that, right? What if this is the thing that gets us back to Made in America, which I'm old enough to remember when that was a point of pride in this country, that things, that normal things that people had were just made in America, okay? I'm old enough to remember that. Maybe we need to get back to that, right? I mean, you know, for better or worse, the president, you know, carved out a campaign telling us to make America great again by bringing jobs back. Well, look, what if this is the thing that causes people to think? Now, do I think it is? 
not at the current death rates. Does that mean I'm calling? Now understand me here. Does that mean that I'm calling for death rates to increase? Of course not. And that's something else that I hope changes, is I hope we become much more reasonable in how we relate to people. We become much less into this gotcha internet culture that a lot of people have suddenly decided that we needed to be invested in this gotcha internet culture. I hope people get kinder. You know, in the Black Death, the Black Death caused uh, people to to question the received wisdom of the Catholic Church. The Black Death was one of the one of the pushes towards Protestantism, one of the pushes towards reading the Bible in your own vernacular language, right? Okay? Maybe this is a push towards wanting to govern yourselves, wanting more localized government, more localized government um, that can make, you know, a government, local government does make real decisions, but make more real decisions to take the decision decisions away from remote bureaucrats and give them to people in our communities. You know, maybe that's what we need to do. You know, because here's my thing. If we're relying on, a, on an executive branch that is or has diverted personal protective equipment to other countries and is diverting ventilators to other hospitals, maybe we need local leaders to say, wait a second, no, 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 no. You know, let's, let's all, let's think about this, right? Maybe that's what we need. And maybe this is a push in the change meter, a push in the change, uh, the drive for change. Because change, here's the other thing, change doesn't happen comfortably, okay? Nobody changes out of comfort. People change because the wolf is at the door. And this thing, if not the disease itself, but the sheltering in place, is shaping up to be the wolf at the door. Yes, there's a disease reason, but when you're talking about a 3 to 5% mortality rate, I don't know. I mean, look, I have pre-existing conditions, as I've said in the podcast, right? But I don't know. I don't know um, how much longer people are going to think about that, right? How much longer they're going to consider that. I don't have that answer. But I wonder if that's the push, you know. Um, another thing was the Black Death caused people to think about urbanization in Europe in ways that 
they hadn't thought about. Even though they weren't exactly thinking of urbanization, they were thinking of, um, they thought it was bad smells. So that, you know, they thought, well, we need to spread out so the air is better. Okay. Right? I mean, how is this going to shape us? You know? I mean, but there's been a lot of, for, for decades, there's been a lot in this country of this received wisdom that we're just an urbanizing group. Maybe we're, maybe this is the push to, to spread out, to want to put space, you know, between us and people. And something else I've noticed in my walks and in my travels is I've seen tribes, what look like to be tribes of people, units of people walking along on the sidewalks, you know, and, and so I guess the gym set, for lack of a better term, is, is out and about now. And also, I, I also kind of think that once the stimulus checks came in, people started coming, you know, started getting out more. And it makes me wonder how much of the, you know, how much of the sheltering in place was an economic decision. And how much of it is about to be undone by another decision made in Washington. And is that, and I don't know today if people in the future are going to think, well, that was the wrong decision. I'm not saying I'm, you know, 100% for or against, because that's another thing that I want to get into. Just because you have an opinion today of what you think needs to happen does not mean that people think that, does not mean that they'll think that later. The principle, one of the principles in history that I find fascinating is this idea that just because like you can do something that you think is normal and then in a certain time in the future like somebody will look at that and think well that wasn't normal so is this the point where gee they used to go off and you know whatever but there's always a catalyst for change there's always you know this thing that brings change around And the other thing I want to talk about is, you know, we need to think about how in the Enlightenment, which essentially was something that, you know, the, the Black Death really did whack people psychologically. So they started to open up a whole lot of thoughts. And part of the reason the Black Death opened people up to change was because you know they didn't really understand what the disease was or, or how the disease came came to them right so but they became a lot more skeptical of authority which that skepticism led to the enlightenment all right so you think about what philosophical changes 
are going to occur because of COVID-19 and because of the structural change to the economy which will happen because of COVID-19. And, you know, yes, there is money involved in keeping globalism and globalization around, but it's always the people that push back against the authority. It's never after the, you know, because of the, I guess, pandemic. It's always the people after the pandemic that push back. Right? And say, no, no, we've, no, no, we're changing. And I think we're too complacent. We're too willing to, to, basically look at the received wisdom of our age, which for some of us, we're already skeptical of it anyway. Right? I mean, we're on either side of, I guess, the American political divide. Right? You're, you're skeptical of it. I mean, you look at, say, for example, on the right, people saying, well, fake news. Right? Well, what is that, really? Fake news, if, if you really think about it, the phenomenon of, of fake news, if you really think about it, is, you know, they see the media as this... First of all, they see the media as a... not actually what it is, or what it claims to be, which is a, a group of... a motley group of people which don't have the same interests. Okay, right? So, but to them, they're so far, to the people on the right, they're so far removed from the interests of the media that they see the media as having a cohesive interest, which they are against. Well, when you look on the left, people on the left say, you know, anti-science and you know, we need to be more, I guess, understanding of our fellow humans. And we need to be more, in a way, the, this, this is flipped from right to left. We need to be more determinant. We need to be able to be more determinant of ourselves, right, from the central authority. And... You know, that's a funny position for left people in this country to be in. Right? But, okay. But so you look at these changes. So there's all these people wanting to push back on a system. And if you think about it, what they're pushing back on is the central authority, be it the, in the left's case, the, I guess, the government, or in the right's case, the, the media, but the central authority says one thing, and and they don't really want to do that. Well, I mean, you know, and if you look even, you know, here lately, there's a there's a a growing gulf between say liberal and leftist to the point where you can now be a, a centrist, and that's brand new in this country. It, the, the, philo the thought 
that a centrist is a discrete position from either the left or the right. And, you know, you can be so far on either one of those that you can be a centrist. And, you know, I don't know what I am. I know, but I know I see what I see. And what I see is I see people not trusting authority. And they're looking for authority to trust right now. And maybe what this virus will prove is that you can't trust authority because things can be so new that the authority doesn't actually know. Right? So, so that brings us to, I guess, the most, or I guess the biggest structural change is this outgrowth of the internet and an outgrowth of basically the democratization of knowledge, or some people might call it the death of expertise. You know, one man says democratization of knowledge, one man says the death of expertise. I certainly, and I don't like both sides of them, but here I am both sidesing this, if you will. I, I actually see that, you know, the both sides of that. That, you know, why did experts hold this knowledge? Well, obviously, it was because they went to school for it. And, you know, and here's the thing I think is happening. I really think a lot of people are, are starting to wake up to the idea that the world is a lot more complicated than they, than they were led to believe. And they might have been led to believe that by the powers that be because perhaps the powers that be had basically a, a vested interest in making sure that, that these people think the world is simple. You know, maybe we need to teach people that the world is simple because if we teach them the world is complicated, they're going to want to know how it got that way. They're going to want to know, you know, what can we do to either to simplify it back or to, to peel back the onions of the layers of expertise that it would take to get to the level of understanding that you people have because obviously when it comes to something as basic as masks and as basic as what do you mean the hospitals in the so-called greatest country on earth don't have the you know the protective equipment or the ventilators to you know basically when you look at the images coming out of New York and you talk to medical people, you know, the first thing they tell you is don't go to the hospital unless you have to. I mean, you know, right? And when you talk to medical people, they say one of the outgrowths of everybody staying at home is that fewer and fewer people are getting into accidents and actually needing medical personnel, which is causing people to get laid off. So this is a rippling effect. 
But I, I really do think people are going to start to either to, on the one hand, to want more accessible levels of knowledge, but also two, maybe they're going to want it simplified for them. And maybe that's going to be the, the legacy beyond that. Anyway, so that's that's another episode of the podcast. And thank you very much for tuning in. The uh, overall the the reception of this thing has been massively positive. Uh, give us a like and a subscribe on your various podcast players. And also, don't forget to follow me at at Ben's Charlie on Twitter. And I'm also searchable as the History Voyager um, on YouTube. And I'll see you guys later on. Goodbye now.